JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. He is Jake Query joining us right now. This is not quite Jake tonight on Monday Night Football, a playing for pride game just yet. And to keep any thought whatsoever of hope going for this Colts team, it is a win situation all the way around. How do you view this thing, or maybe better yet, for a fan base and an owner, and an organization that has cried over the years because they haven't had a Monday night game and they get one. How do you view that? Do you view this as a big game or has it lost a little bit of luster on both sides because of the way both teams have played? I don't think there's any doubt that the answer is the latter, John. And by the way, good afternoon to you for having me. Um, Social media is not the end-all be-all, but it gives you a barometer. I've seen a ton of people selling tickets. And, you know, for this morning, I I mean, if you would have asked in August or September, laying out the game plan for today, one would have assumed that with the morning show that it was going to be basically a Colts pregame show and a morning extension or or I I should say prequel prequel to what you're going to be doing this afternoon. And I would say that 60% of our show this morning was talking about Purdue's weekend because, you know, that's the big – I mean, there was obviously a lot that went on since we talked to folks last. But, look, mathematically speaking, the Colts are still in play for the playoffs. And I understand that so long as they're mathematically in play as professionals, they are owed to go for that. But realistically, does anybody see them, A, as a playoff team, and B, if they were to sneak in, somebody that can make any noise whatsoever? The answer is no to both. And so – you know, they they probably – if you're Jeff Saturday, you want to win games, probably, you know, just for the, for the obvious reason, right? I don't think anybody intentionally wants to lose games. But at some point, from a tactical standpoint, you start thinking towards the future. And I really believe – and people can feel free to send me a tweet and tell me that I'm wrong in this because – and I'm asking them to, actually. But my gauge or my sense from the fan base is – that people have looked at this season moving forward as nothing more than kind of an inventory of what they have and where they are for future reference. And I think people have written off this year. And that's the last place that Jim Mersey wants his franchise and his fan base to be. But I feel yeah. like that's where they are. It's Jay Query, the morning show on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. And, and as I mentioned this a little bit earlier, the louder and the more boisterous the conversation comes, especially from the top of Jim Irsay about this team and the expectations of greatness, 
it seems like the more often and the worse things get as far as this team and organization ever living up to anything they talk about. You know, here's the thing. Jim Mersey is a passionate owner. He's obviously, you know, the kicking the stigma. There are a lot of great things about Jim Mersey being the owner of your franchise within a market. So don't get me wrong. However, if you really look at when they've had the most success as a franchise, it's been when Jim Mersey has allowed others to do the talking for him. And I don't mean literally by words. I mean, it's where Jim Mersey has taken a back seat and let football people run the football franchise. And I've talked to a couple of people in the last couple of weeks that were around during Bob Bursay's era that have said, and I don't mean from the substance standpoint, I want to be very clear on that, but just in terms of involving within the franchise and meddling, if you will, that this is the closest that he has been to his dad. And his dad was very unpredictable. His dad, And, you know, that was fueled by the alcoholism, obviously. I don't think that's the case with Jim Irsay. I think Jim Irsay is fueled by an overwhelming passion to be able to offset what happened to him when he was a general manager, which was lackluster results by his own admission. And I think that he has just convinced himself, and I'm not saying he may be right, I don't know, that he knows more about the franchise and well, certainly he does about the franchise, but how to win than those around him. And I think that he is getting involved in decision-making. And, and I think there are people that are really hesitant about that, but I think that's what's going on because right now the three most important positions in any franchise, the coach, the general manager, the quarterback, all three of those, nobody even knows who they're going to be next year. That's not a good place to be. No, it's, it's not. And I, I think the, the biggest point about this, and there's no doubt right now, if you're talking about the, the most disappointing team in the NFL, certainly the, the culture and the conversation, but Green Bay would probably take the honor in a landslide as of right now following, again, well, another Rams, loss. I, I said the same thing. And, and the, I guess the Rams, yeah, the Rams could be because they're the defending champs. I, I just think with, with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay and their overall record, they'd probably be there. But, yeah, I mean, we could certainly debate both points it just seems to me that the way this team has been constructed and and even more so than the patchwork they have done over and over again with the quarterback the way that's been constructed you know supposedly the path to these these championships within the AFC South and long runs of the postseason or multiple Lombardis that's completely broken down and I don't to me there's no going back to it there's no going back to, you know, trying to all of a sudden revitalize this or breathe some life into it. I, I just I just don't think it's going to happen. I see, think we've seen the high point with it, and I think from here on out, you have to find yourself a new path. John, I, I hate saying this, and we're all guilty of it, so I'm not necessarily trying to single out Jim Mercer. However, arguably the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL played here for what, 13 seasons? Mm-hmm. I think that automatically allowed the fan base, probably some of the teammates, and the media in this town to just automatically divert to thinking that it's not that difficult, that, that it's not that hard to climb to the top, especially when you went from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck and immediately had success with Andrew Luck right out of the box and you're right back in the postseason and you're right in the thick of the conversation. I think Jim Mercer, by human nature, fell victim 
to what every fan of the Indianapolis Colts fell victim to, to what most of the media fell victim to, and that was that it isn't that difficult. And the reality is the norm is what you saw yesterday with the Bears and the Jets playing. Two franchises that are rolling out quarterbacks, so you're like, wait, now who's this guy again? When did he get there? That's the norm. That's, that's the norm in the NFL. And in Indianapolis, we became accustomed to thinking that that was the anomaly. And they are now finding themselves in the norm. And the norm is like a swirling pool of water. And it's really difficult to swim out of it. And that's exactly where they are. All right, Jay Quarry joins us. I, I want to move a little bit forward here to tonight's game. Because as it stands right now, there is still hope. Some fans still believe that, is, that hope is there. And it will come to an absolute crushing and done situation if they lose tonight this is a team in pittsburgh that they have struggled whatsoever to beat basically over you know more than a handful of years here going way back this is a game that they should win tonight what is at the top of the list of things that absolutely has to happen if colts fans want to see a winner on monday night football against a team that has had their number and owned them over the years Protect the quarterback is numbers one, two, and three, and that's going to be their biggest challenge, right? Um, and then the other one is, but at the same time, I don't know that you need to score a lot of points tonight because Pittsburgh's offense, I mean, you know, Kenny Pickett, I mean, you can't let him get comfortable. I, that's weird to say about a rookie quarterback who's still finding his footing, and I think on the year has three touchdowns and eight picks. You know, he's throwing to one of his primary receivers is also a rookie. I mean, their offense has its own struggles. So you don't need to score a lot of points, but you've got to score points by protecting the quarterback or, for that matter, being able to run the football. Not like you got to keep the ball out of Pittsburgh's hands, per se, but that's Indianapolis's bread and butter. But that offensive line, John, the same story that it's been all year long for the Colts is the big one tonight because if there's an area where Pittsburgh is good, it's on their defensive front four and their ability to get to the quarterback, and that's going to be Indianapolis's big test. Yeah, and people have asked me, all right, this team in Pittsburgh's bad. So is there anything that is a holdover from a regime that obviously is trying to you know, transform itself uh, from the past and now to the present? And the one thing that holds true is that capability up front of harassing the quarterback. And that is something that the Colts have given up more times than they haven't with this offensive line and this particular quarterback this season. I completely agree. Top three easily is being able to protect Matt Ryan, who – not only struggles in being protected, but oftentimes struggles in protecting himself. You know, it's, it's funny, John. We, we both just kind of answered two questions in one there. Because to your point, when you think of Pittsburgh, what do you think of? You think of aggressive defense, hard-nosed, tough, tough to get yardage out of. And part of that is just because that's what they've been for 40 years, despite the personnel changes. Baltimore falls into that same category. You know, you think, oh, Baltimore's got a great defense. Do they? I don't know. But, I mean, you think about Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and, you know, the great players they've had. And I think when you think about Indianapolis, you just automatically assume with the Colts, great quarterbacking, great quarterback, high-fly offense. That's not what they are. But it's what we feel like they are because it's what we're so accustomed to. And I I think that the truth is there. For, in Pittsburgh's case, they've been able to, to this year live up to that reputation. In the Colts' case, they have not. Jay Query joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So the Colts have led, I believe, seven out of the eight quarters in which Jeff Saturday has been the interim head coach. 
Is, you know, that just a coincidence? Or is there anything deeper to look at this? I know part of it is a product of being unable to close games, which was here before Jeff Saturday got here and still remains. But is there a product of this that we see from Jeff Saturday taking over? Yeah, it does feel, I mean, certainly, it, now, is this going to be long-term? I don't know. But certainly for some of those quarters, the offensive line play was competent. And it wasn't elsewhere. You know, it, it struggled. Now, I think it reverted back a little bit um, at times against Philly, which, you know, some of those games feel like now, like three three months ago. But, no, I think that they – and this is – to answer your first question, John, about the direction of the Colts for the season and how it plays in tonight. Tonight, what, what we learned tonight is this, and that is that oftentimes when you have a coaching change, you get a jolt. Teams get an energy, and you think, whoa, okay, look, this is why they made the change. They, they, you know, what a big win. And that energy lasts for, like, a game or two. Right. But it's been some time off now. They've, you know, they've, they've, they've been inside the complex. Things are settling down a little bit. Life has kind of moved on after all of the chaos. So now is when we really find out who they really are. And so I think tonight will probably answer that question for you of, hey, is this indeed – they're doing some things differently and they're doing it better under Jeff Saturday and they have more energy or was that just kind of a jolt for a game or two, or maybe even a a, a letdown in terms of preparation from their opponent, because all the chaos going on with the Colts, they didn't, you know, they, they lag back a little bit. And I think tonight we find that out. I do think they'll win tonight just because I don't think Pittsburgh can score enough points, but I think tonight, do I expect them to come out and look like a house of fire I don't. My fear is that this is going to be one of those games that if you're living in you know, Mesa, Arizona, and you're like, oh, it's Monday Night Football, and you flip it on, you're like, really? Really? This is My fear is it could be an ugly game, but I do think they'll win. I'm curious. Go back to the offensive line for a moment. Who you think ultimately, and I, we can look at Chris Strasser, and now obviously Jeff Saturday's in charge prior to that Frank Reich. Why, why is it that they have so begrudgingly decided to hand out any, any extra protection whatsoever, any help whatsoever with key pieces on that offensive line. And, and we'll start with the rookie left tackle. It just seems like that they just put him out there and said, all right, either you sink or swim here, and more times than not, he's sunk. Why is that? Because what other options do you have? And Probably. I, I mean, you know, I think – I think the offensive line, and you and I have talked about this, I have, and I I do. And I'm, I'm talking about help. I'm not talking about with a starting position. I mean, they're going with Ryman, and we understand that. But you would think at times they would try to maybe slide some help, and I don't know, maybe that's just well, a product of, of tied in where you don't have anybody that's capable of doing too much as far as – protection or added protection is concerned i mean you're not a team with a fullback i I mean it seems like a variety of things you could try to do instead of oftentimes just kind of sit there and take it i I don't disagree but didn't we all have that guy that we grew up with that by the time you were like 20 years old you know you're like you know what like i've tried everything to like help him get his life in order and he's just not a bad guy but he's just kind of a mess i mean I think there are multiple players on that line that it doesn't matter what combination, what backup, what help, what rotation you're going to get. If a guy can't play, a guy can't play. And I think, and then you have in addition to that, and this is what I was going to say, I, I, I'm, I, I don't know if the personal 
tragedies are a reason for it? And if so, then heartfelt, you know, under, understood by all stretch of the imagination. But I think that with an offensive line, much of the cohesiveness of a line starts with solid play at the center position. And I think Ryan Kelly's inconsistency at the center position has caused breakdowns elsewhere that has prohibited you from being able to even with some of the different pieces and combinations you try, you're just not getting the stability in the interior that you need. Quentin Nelson's guilty as well. No, no doubt about it. They just haven't gotten any consistency from anybody on that line. I, I just, I, th- I think even beyond that, I think the coaching staff is on the hook for this because it seems I like that there fair. were, there would be a variety fair. of things to try to do. And, and I know everybody laughs when I mentioned fullback, but you, know, you look at Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor has nowhere to go. And it would seem like that trying to, to open up holes would be essential to help that offense. And it just hasn't seemed like that the Colts have tried everything. Now, maybe they have. Maybe I'm completely unknowing to it. But in watching it this season, it doesn't seem like that they've tried everything to help this offensive line. It seems like every week they sit back and they go, all right, well, with a quarterback and his um, you know, veteran presence and with you know, the talent we believe this group has, at some point it's going to come together. And either because of the quarterback or because of the offensive line group itself, it just simply hasn't. And it's been the major detriment to this team as to why they find themselves right now where they are. Yeah, I, I think there has been, at times, just enough of a percolation of competency to give them a false hope or a false belief that things can be turned around. And I don't think they can this year, period. Yeah. I mean, to answer your question, you know, mathematically still, yes. But I almost feel like, John, and you tell me if you disagree, I almost feel like it might be in the fans' best interest for the Colts to drop the game tonight. Now, I don't mean drop it literally. I mean to just to, to lose, to come up short tonight. Because at some point, you've got to – at some point, you've got to rip off the Band-Aid and say, we're, we're, we're just – we're playing for next year. We're playing for, towards building – but the problem is you have different people with what would seemingly be different incentives for that not to be the case. If you're Chris Ballard, you're probably wanting for things to be in the best position towards helping to build the next year and getting as many assets as possible if you're going to stay as the GM. If you're Jeff Saturday, you want to win games because you want to be able to show that you can win games as an NFL head coach and prove the doubters wrong. If you're Jim Ursay, you're wanting to stay relevant so that people are talking about you and you're selling tickets and you're getting season ticket renewals. You know, if you're Shaquille Leonard, you have no idea whether or not you're even going to play next year. If you're, I mean, there are literally like all areas of the team, you don't have people that are cruising along at the same agenda. It should be that everybody's interest is the exact same thing, and that's winning football games. But unfortunately, I think there are some people that winning football games is of greater priority to what to where they are than, than others. Again, not at the fault of anybody, but that's just how things have fallen here in the last month of what's been chaos within the franchise. Jay Quarry joins us morning show 7 until 10 a.m. here. It's weekday mornings on The Fan. Again, 97.1 Hank FM for the game itself. I'm going to take you to that point here with this show and then the Colts pregame huddle beginning at 5.30 to follow. Pacers-Lakers can be heard tonight beginning at 10 a.m. Check that, 10 p.m. tonight. With the pregame show right here, 10.30 is that tip from L.A. Lakers and the Pacers this evening. Boilermakers all the way up to number five, 24 to number five, and then rightly so 
and, and people will suggest, because a lot of Purdue fans don't want to get ahead of themselves because they've been disappointed before, but this has been, to me, the most impressive start of any team across the board in college basketball. And somebody had asked me a little bit earlier what I thought the difference was between last year and this year so far, and it's twofold. And maybe it won't last, but as we sit here and talk right now, as good as Jaden Ivey was, some would kind of get caught up in waiting for Jaden Ivey to perform his greatness. And the other thing, when you're Zach Eady, you go from 19 minutes per game to now 29, I think that it also has helped them team-wise with Travion Williams moving on. Because you couldn't play these guys together, whereas Edie can be out there with, for example, Caleb first, and they still play well together. Those are two things I start with with how this team has looked so far. How about you? Hey, two things. Number one, preseason polls are always kind of bunk. And if they waited until a month in to rank teams, produce the number one team in the country. Because there, there are not four teams ahead of them that have, yeah. to this point, accumulated a better resume. But it's November. I get it, right? Number two, totally agree with you about Jaden Ivey. I said it this morning. Jaden Ivey's a wonderful player and was a hell of a lot of fun to watch. But I think at times when he had the ball, the other four people on the floor saw him as a hell of a player that were a lot of fun. To, that was a lot of fun to watch. And so when Jaden Ivey had the basketball, oftentimes you would have four guys on the floor with him that just naturally were, to your point, waiting to see what he was going to do. When Braden Smith has the ball in his hands you have four guys that Braden Smith's waiting to see what they do so that he can facilitate and get the ball yeah. where it needs to be. And more often than not, that's obviously with Zach Eady, who has shown a remarkable, I think, more like versatile movement offensively than he did even a year ago. I mean, l- listen, the guy for Purdue that deserves a ton of credit, a ton of credit, is Brandon Brantley. His ability to continue to develop big men for Purdue is, remarkable he, he Brandon Brantley was a good player he's a great coach clearly because guys come through there and they absolutely develop as a big man for Matt Painter they're fun to watch they're balanced yeah they guys like Caleb first to your point are making the extra pass you know guys like you know Mason Gillis are hitting open shots and they're distributing the ball and they look like they enjoy playing with one another and um to as of right now, long way to go. But what they've done that's huge is they have put themselves in position now where come March, assuming that the wheels don't fall off, they already have three really impressive, quote, quality wins for their resume that's going to help their seating, assuming that they have a good season in the Big Ten. So, Jay Quay, before I let you go, I want to bring up the Pacers. They play in L.A. against the Lakers tonight. Uh, yesterday, I don't know if they just kind of climbed off the plane and off the bus and played yesterday, but they weren't into it. Um, and, you know, I'm a huge Miles Turner supporter here, but I guess this team being, <clears throat> how should I put it, zoobotsed in the fashion in which they were yesterday, does that take away a lot of the goodness that Miles has had? I say no, but people basically tell me to go to hell when I say that and say all kinds of things to me and you know, call me an apologist and say I need to apologize. Now, these are numb nuts, and I really probably shouldn't consider it, but I'm asking you. Somebody, this is kind of an innocent bystander in all this. Does that take away anything that has been accomplished so far with the way that they got Zubots in that game against the Clippers yesterday? To me, it does not. And with Miles Turner, 
the people who were in charge were really curious to see what Miles Turner was going to be able to do in playing with Tyrese Halliburton. So you have to almost throw out some of the stuff or the Miles Turner by reputation that we've seen for years. I know that sounds crazy and it's contradictory to what I was saying earlier about the NFL, but this is they're playing at a different style and a different pace, and it fits Miles Turner. It fits the way he plays, and he has responded to it and responded to it in all means by looking like a guy that you can run with and you need to keep around for a while. And I do think they should. Whether they do or not, I don't know. They're going to have to weigh whether or not they think that they are ready to be able to let this group grow together or it needs a few more pieces. And if it needs a few more pieces, it probably comes at the expense of Miles Turner. But I am with you. I am with you in the fact that I've seen enough this year in terms of his the way that he plays and the way that this particular group look, we've seen in the past, Andrew Bynum, when there were Pacer teams that were gelled together and unified and in it together. And then all of a sudden the front office got too cute for itself and it ruined the chemistry of the team. This team, one of the things that it has aside from youth is they really enjoy playing with each other. I really do believe that. And yeah, that can only take you so far, but they also clearly have some talent and it's young talent. So if they enjoy being around one another, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And right now, I'm not saying that they are unbroken because they're young. But at the same time, I like the pieces that are there, and I think that that they have enough pieces in terms of the draft in the next two years to complement it without totally blowing it up. And I'm curious to see where they go with it. Hey, Jake, quick thing before I let you go. Do you think at all, if the Boilermakers football-wise – get worked over by Michigan on Saturday. Does it matter? At this point, are they playing with the proverbial house money in that game at Lucas Oil Stadium Saturday? That's the term I used this morning, buddy. I mean, people are going to be excited to go down there and watch them. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, hey, I I know of one house in Indianapolis that's actually a house divided. I know of one house where one daughter went to Purdue and one daughter went to, and two daughters went to Michigan. Right. And and I think they're probably still all rooting for Purdue because of the story. So the DeMarses might have two flags flying, but I think deep down they're all rooting for Purdue because it's a great story for Purdue. And certainly heart goes out to Aiden O'Connell. Yeah. And just, you know, the strength and all of that. But look, it's great for Purdue. It was a great weekend for Purdue Athletics. It was as good a weekend for Purdue Athletics as any college athletics program I've seen in this market in a long time. I tell you what, it's needed around here, too, because mostly it's been bad. You ain't kidding. And mostly we've been negative. And I, I tell everybody all the time, we get tired of being negative. I mean, at some point you want to be positive. And uh, the Boilermakers let out a little positivity for us to all talk about today, which is nice. Yep. Why well, we talked a lot about them this morning. All right, tomorrow morning, 7 until 10 a.m., you guys will have that reaction of Monday Night Football. I didn't see. Did you pick the Colts to win? Uh, I believe I said 20 to 12 the Colts would win. I don't think Pittsburgh has enough points. I say. I think I picked the Colts, too. I haven't picked the Colts in a number of weeks, and I did tonight. And of of that 20, I think at least one score comes for the Colts from the defense. 23-20, 23-20, I think is what I said. So, yeah, somewhere okay. in that neighborhood. All right. You Buddy, I there? appreciate you. What's up? All right. I'll see you down there. You got it, man. It's Jake Query right, right there, the morning show. Kevin and Query, weekday mornings here on The Fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Joining us now via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he covers the Steelers for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Ray Fittipaldo, who's, I guess, already inside Lucas Oil Stadium, he's waiting for some things to start right now. Ray, thank you for the time. How are you? Um, excellent. How, how are you tonight? Fantastic. We're spread all over the place, but that's one of the enjoyments you get when you love sports like we do. We get spread a little bit thin, but that is good. I'm, I'm curious. I, I kind of, I, I guess I described the Steelers this season as follows a little bit earlier. There's not a lot that is reminiscent of those Steeler teams that have had ownership of the Colts over the recent history and certainly the longer term past as well. But one of those that remains to be true is their ability to rush the quarterback, which has been a thorn in the side all season long for the Colts. Are they still doing that at a vintage type of Steeler level this season? No, not at a vintage Steelers type of level. And the reason for that was T.J. Watt missed almost two months because of pectoral and knee injuries. Tonight is his third game back. And um, I would suspect they'll get back to being more of that Steelers type of defense. Um, But no, the the sacks have not been there. And as a result, the turnovers haven't been there. You know, in in years past, you know, the, the, the Steelers would rush the passer they would create strip sacks. Uh, they would force quarterbacks into quicker decisions. And that really hasn't been the case this year. So they're hoping with a healthy T.J. Watt down the stretch that maybe their luck can change and they can get a few more wins here um, in the 2022 season. Hey, Ray, two things for you, too. Um, how has it looked since T.J. Watt has returned? And then the other, I kind of look at this Steeler team as I did the Colts. They got after you know, obviously and handled a weak defensive front that the Raiders threw at him, but have been really unable to handle the better defensive fronts for a variety of reasons, protecting Matt Ryan over the course of the season. T.J. Watt, how has he looked? And then how would you expect them to look up front against what has been a disheveled most of the time offensive line of the Colts? Yeah, well, TJ, his look good. I thought uh, Lael Collins from the Bengals did a really good job on him last week. Uh, TJ had a half a sack, and he, he missed another sack. So um, he played well, but I thought Collins did a really good job on him. So um, the Colts, as you mentioned, haven't been um, as good protecting the quarterback this year. And it's not just TJ Watt. You know, Cam Hayward is now 33 years old, but he's still playing at a really high level. Larry Ogunjobi. Another defensive tackle has been up and down this year because of injuries, but he's finally looking like, um, you know, he's healthier. And then on the other side, Alex Highsmith um, is among the NFL leaders in sacks with eight and a half. Um, Now he does get a lot of his sacks because there's so much attention paid to TJ Watt, but he's good enough to uh, take advantage of those one-on-ones. And, um, you know, he did that again last week. He was credited with a half a sack um, against the Bengals. So, Uh, As I said, with T.J. back, it's a very formidable um, front. You know, they're going to get after the Colts um, uh, in the pass rush today, and that's why they thought going into into this game with Jeff Saturday now in charge, with Jonathan Taylor being more of a focal point, they have to stop the run. If they could stop the run in in this game, then they can get uh, Matt Ryan in situations where he has to pass the ball. They feel like that will be an advantage for them. 
this has become a transitionary type of season, certainly in Pittsburgh. Was this along the lines at all as to what was expected, the level of play throughout the season so far? Well, their hope was, you know, rookie quarterback, young and rebuilding offense. Um, they were hoping that the defense could carry them and that the defense could maybe get them in position where they could be a playoff contender. But that just hasn't happened. Um, you know, they're 28th in the league in total defense. I think they're 26th in scoring. And injuries have played a huge part in this. It's not just T.J. Watt. Um, they've had injuries in the back end. Akella Witherspoon, a starting corner for them, is going to miss uh, another game tonight. He's missed six of the past seven now. And they've just been uh, kind of decimated by injuries in the secondary. And just, uh, you know, I, I know the Colts aren't really built for this, but teams have really been able to take advantage of them in the passing game. Last week, Joe Burrow had 355 yards and four touchdowns. And, uh, you know, the Eagles, I think, threw four touchdown passes against them about a month ago. And I mean, it's just, it's been those one, one of those types of years for the Steelers secondary where the injuries have just caught up with them. So, We'll see what the Colts can do tonight. You know, I, I know they want to establish Jonathan Taylor. I know he's been big for them in the two games since Saturday took over. I would expect that to continue, but I also know that they watch film too, and they know that Steelers secondary has been exposed, and I'm sure they're going to want to take their shots um, down, is, down the field as well. He is Ray Fittipaldo, covers the Steelers for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. He's with us in the press box from Lucas Oil Stadium, the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So, the, the good and the bad of Kenny Pickett and how much of what you've seen from the rookie quarterback was expected once he was handed over the reins of that offense? Well, the good, he's very, uh, he's very athletic. He's mobile. He could make plays with his feet. Um, he's good scrambling in the pocket and creating time for himself. And the bad is just what you would expect with, with any rookie at quarterback, um, reading coverages, recognizing disguises from defensive coordinators. Um, he's just not there yet. And listen, that, I mean, that, that happens to every young quarterback in this league. I mean, people in Indianapolis are very familiar with Peyton Manning's rookie year. And then, you know, all of a sudden, year two, year three, then, um, you know, things slow down. And, and uh, you, know, um, you know, the Steelers are expecting things to slow, slow down for him, just probably not this season. So, um, yeah, rookie growing pains. I think everyone sort of respected it, but I think the one thing he does um, is he does make play with, plays with his feet now. Um, he's had over 50 yards running in two games this season, so he's been really good in that respect. So that's one thing the Colts defense is going to have to be aware of tonight. I'm curious, George Pickens, the rookie wide receiver, he was somebody that we had talked about because you know every single season all I do is – Spend like three hours a day talking about wide receivers that the Colts should draft. Now, they drafted Alec Pierce, who I think everybody likes around here, but 33 for 453 and two touchdowns this season. What's, what has been the thought on George Pickens as a rookie wide receiver in Pittsburgh? He had a tremendous training camp, tremendous preseason, and uh, the talent is there. It's just a matter of finding that chemistry in the passing game with a rookie quarterback. So I, you know, I think if you put George Pickens on a team with an established quarterback, he'd probably be leading the league in receiving. He is that kind of a talent. Um, he fell to the second round. There were some issues at Georgia. Um, you know, I'm sure people are well aware of what those were, but you know, the Steelers have had no problems with him. Um, you know, he, he's, he's a young guy, but he's also, 
he's had the opportunity to work with Kenny Pickett really since the spring. They, they both kind of worked themselves up from second and third teamers in training camp. You know, Pickett wasn't the starter here until week four. So they kind of have that chemistry going where they could fall back on what they did um, um, during the summer. And, you know, unfortunately for the Steelers, they didn't have that opportunity with number one receiver Deontay Johnson and some of the other guys in the passing game. So Kenny Pickett is having to learn on the run with those guys. And you, that's why you quite, quite haven't seen the production, um, you know, that, uh, you know, that they need right now in the passing game. But Pickett and Pickens, um, as long as those guys stay healthy, I think that's going to be a combination you hear a lot about in the years to come. Is that, is that something you could see? I mean, have there been moments that uh, are great examples with them hooking up where you can see, you know, a level of, of elite play between quarterback and wide receiver for years to come oh. there in Pittsburgh? Undoubtedly. I mean, George Pickens is a freak of an athlete. I mean, I, I watched him all summer make plays that, um, you know, quite frankly, you just don't see in the NFL all that often. So, um, yeah, I think once the chemistry um, uh, develops, and listen, the offensive line hasn't been good either, so you need protection to throw the ball down the field. George Pickens is that type of player. He needs to, um, you know, win on those 30 and 40 yard routes down the field. So um, once the protection gets better, once Kenny Pickett gets better, that's when you're going to see George Pickens take off. He's already having a good season. I think he's third among rookie receivers in the league in yards. He's got three touchdowns. I know Pierce maybe has four. There might be one other rookie who has more. But, um, you know, he's putting up production in less than ideal circumstances. I think you're going to see the best George Pickens in years to come. Ray Fittipaldo covers the Steelers for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette with his via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. He's down at Lucas Oil Stadium. I'm at Buffalo Wild Wings and Fishers. That's uh, 116 in Olio on a blue Monday here on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan, this may be a silly question to ask because I certainly haven't heard anything, but obviously I don't live in, in the bubble that you do in covering the Steelers in Pittsburgh. But how have the fans been with the dis- disappointing season, the transition in terms of their view of Mike Tomlin and his leadership? Yeah, well, I think any time, you know, you're a winning organization like the Steelers, and, you know, the the Colts have certainly been this over the years as well, there's going to be, um, you know, some criticism of the head coach when things go sour. But I think most fans who understand the situation, right, a rookie quarterback, rebuilding offensive line, injuries on defense, I think – not that you can explain away the three and seven record, but there are certainly reasons why they've struggled to this point. So, you know, Mike Tomlin is in no danger of losing his job. He's got a job with the Steelers, um, you know, pretty much as as long as he wants one. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I think when you have a spoiled fan base, a team that expects to be in the playoffs every year, these kinds of years are difficult, but again, they're expected when you're moving on from a guy like Ben Roethlisberger to a rookie um, like Kenny Pickett. Well, you know, it's funny about that, too, is, and, and you, know, you get this in the media, but certainly you get this in the world of social media and fans. There probably hasn't been a lot of reason to go at Mike Tomlin for the product that's been on the field in Pittsburgh forever. And then once you get the opportunity, right, people take advantage of that opportunity. And, you know, whether or not it's the coach's fault, it's just this transition situation they're in, in this world of social media, they take advantage of that opportunity when it's given, don't they? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the one, the one reason he is hearing it a lot more from fans this year is, number one, 
he's a guy who cut his teeth as a defensive coach in this league, and this defense has really underperformed. You look at T.J. Watt, um, I think before Aaron Donald signed that big deal, he was the highest-paid defensive player in the league. Um, they have a, a defense that's making um, – it's the highest-paid defense in the league. They pay those guys more than $100 million, um, and they haven't performed up to the, the standards that you know everyone thought w- was going to happen this year. And it's not only Mike Tomlin. You know, you got Brian Flores – um, who was brought on staff this year. They thought Brian was going to be a bigger factor and you know, maybe help them become a dominant defense. you got Terrell Austin, who's been a longtime coordinator in this league for the Lions and the Bengals and a couple of other teams, and uh, he's a guy who has a lot of expertise. But, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's the injuries or, um, you know, it's what maybe some teams have kind of figured out the Achilles heel of the Steelers' defense, it just hasn't worked this year. So, you know, we'll see if Watt's presence down the stretch can can maybe get them back to being – that dominant type of defense that they expected. But like I said, um, you know, through the first 10 games of the season, it certainly hasn't looked like it thus far. Hey, Ray, would this team have been able to offensively navigate it to at least challenge within the division, you know, be more of a threat within the division of the AFC had the defense not experienced injuries and ineffective play? Or would this offense still take a lot more than certainly what they're going to be able to give defensively? Yeah, I, I, I don't think they would have been a, a playoff contender. I think they're 3-7 and seven now. If their game plan would have worked, right, dominant defense, score enough points to win, I think the best they could expect to be right now is probably 5-5. Five and five. And in the end, in the AFC, I don't know that 9-8 and eight is going to be enough to get you into the playoffs this year. Um, there are so many good teams in this conference that are just knocking each other off every single week. So, I, you know, I think for the Steelers, it was going to be um, a transition year all along. It's kind of been a tougher transition year than they expected because of what's going on on the defense. And, I get, again, the hope next year is defense comes back, the, the nucleus is intact, none of these guys are um, are free agents, all their important guys are under contract. So the hope is – get back to being a dominant defense again next year. Kenny Pickett, in year two, you continue to build around him, and then maybe next year you can get back on track to where you're a playoff contender again. He's Ray Fittipaldo, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Monday Night Football is the Steelers and the Colts coming up later on tonight. I did want to get to this because, historically speaking, I mean, Pittsburgh plays defense, and they also run the football. Najee Harris in year number two, how has that been with his 550 and three TDs and under four yards per carry. What's the viewpoint in Pittsburgh with that in mind? Yeah, I mean, he, he had a Liz Frank injury in training camp, missed almost all of training camp. And uh, while he's played in every game this season, I think that injury really took a toll on his play early in the season. Um, uh, he wasn't decisive in his cuts. I think more recently um, he's been better. And I think, again, you know, I talked about the offensive line being a young offensive line and, and really trying to um, um, come into its own. It's not there yet, not in pass protection, and certainly not in the running game. So, um, you know, it's interesting. You look at this, this this offense, you have Kenny Pickett, you have Najee Harris, you have Pickens, you have a good young tight end, Pat Fryermuth, who I think is probably one of the top ten tight ends in the NFL. They have the pieces around him to make it work, but again, the infrastructure, the lines of scrimmage, that's where the Steelers have to focus, um, you know, on the draft here in, in a few months. I think they can 
they need a franchise left tackle. They could use a guard, and uh, they could probably use a center down the road too. So it's going to be an important year for the, for this team. Um, you know, once um, once February kicks in, um, they have to rebuild this offensive line. I, I, the Colts know this. The Steelers know this over the years. That's how you build championship teams. And right now, they just don't have a championship caliber offensive line. You know, what's funny about this, Ray, is you mentioned Fryermuth, and it's almost like that they construct these Steeler tight ends in a factory, and they just kind of roll them off the assembly line. I, I, these guys, I mean, it, you go back to Heath Miller, guys like that, it seems like these guys are all the same with a high level of production, and you can, you can honestly count on what you're going to get. Yeah, I mean, he is very reminiscent of Heath Miller in the passing game. I, I will say Heath Miller was so well-rounded. I think Heath was a better blocker than Pat is, but I think that's also just a byproduct of how the college game is now, and I don't think any of these tight ends coming out now are really well-versed in, in run blocking. But, you know, Pat's getting there. Um, you know, if you look at the stats, I, I think he's number one or number two among Steelers receivers, um, both in targets and in, in catches and yards. And he's just been very productive for them. And I, I will, I'll say the same thing about Pat that I said about George. I think the best for him is yet to come. Build that offensive line up. Let Kenny Pickett sort of learn how it works. And um, that guy is going to put up a 1,000-yard season pretty soon here. He, he, is, he is a very talented, very smart, very tough football player. And I think his uh, best football is yet to come as well. I, I mean, you bring up a great point, too, because obviously uh, left tackle and addressing the offensive line in the offseason is a need. But quarterback of the future, you know, running back, once he's completely healthy um, and gets back on track, you've got the tight end, and then you've got an ever-evolving, what many people believe to be maybe one of these days, elite-level wide receiver in the NFL. So uh, there are reasons to feel good, even in a disappointing season record-wise and what Steeler fans are seeing right now. Absolutely, and I'll be back here in, uh, what, February or March for the Combine. I'll be talking about all the offensive tackles and all the all the things that they need to uh, get back on track in 2023. So it uh, should be a fun offseason. It's funny, we're, we're barely in, in December yet. It's still November, and uh, I think both the Colts and the Steelers are looking forward to, uh, to the Combine and what they have to do to get better um, next season. Yeah, that kind of makes you sick. I wish you hadn't brought that up. Why'd you bring that up, Ray? <laughs> I was feeling all good about it, and then you brought that up. So, hey, Maybe I appreciate you. I, I appreciate what you've uh, done for jumping on here, too. Again, Ray Fittipaldo. You can find him at RayFit1, at RayFit1, who does a great job in covering the Steelers for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. And Ray, enjoy the Monday night game down there, and uh, – I'm assuming that one of these days, relatively soon, we'll do it again. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Ray Fittipaldo right there, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette.